All right, open up your Bibles, Acts 12. Uh, we're going to begin uh, looking at a guy named Herod. Last week we looked at a guy named Barnabas and kind of went through the book of Acts uh, looking at his character and kind of how God used him to pull other people into ministry and into fellowship. And today uh, we are looking at a guy named Herod. Now here's the deal about Herod. Herod dies, you're going to see that here in just a minute, he dies a very sudden and violent death. And he does not have his will made at the Baptist Foundation, okay? And that's, that's why we're looking at Herod today. Uh, here's a guy, and that, that's all true. He did die a very sudden death. He did not have a will with the foundation. Both those are very factual, true things. And so we're going to look at those today. Uh, not really, but we are going to look at him dying. Uh, foundation stuff is just to emphasize to you, okay? Acts chapter 12, verse 20 is where we're going to start reading. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord. Having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes and took his seat upon the throne. And he delivered an oration to them, and the people were shouting, listen to what they shout, the voice of a God and not a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down. Notice why. Because he did not give God the glory. Did you hear that? Because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last, but the word of God increased and multiplied. Father, I ask you to help us to understand your word today. God, help us to understand uh, how everything in our life revolves around the glory of God. Father, I pray that you'd open our minds to to understand how we are made and we live and we breathe and we, we marry and we have kids and we do all of that for the glory of God. Father, please keep us from pride. I pray, God, that you would cut down the sin of pride in our hearts today. God, we see how it destroys. We see how it keeps us from, from being the people you've called us to be. And Lord, we, we pray, Father, that you would work in us, humility, that we'd give glory to you. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. People have a bad habit, and that bad habit is kind of ranking sins. I don't know if you know anybody like that. Probably most likely yours to some degree like that, you know? What I mean by ranking sins is that you have certain sins that you consider to be, you know, over here, you know, really bad. And then you have other sins that you kind of consider to be over here. Now, most people don't have a very complicated ranking system. They basically have those two categories, okay? Sins that are really bad and sins that are not really bad. Now, let me tell you how people decide what sin goes in which category. Okay, most people, here's what they do. Okay, all the sins that they don't struggle with. Okay, the sins that they're not prone to, the sins that they're not inclined to, the sins that they don't they don't fall into. Those are the really bad ones. All right. Okay. Now, the sins that they tend to fall into, that they tend to 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 be inclined to, that they struggle with, that they stumble with. Okay. Those are all over in the category of not very bad. Isn't that convenient? How most people do it that way. Now, here's what I'm here to tell you today. That's a really bad thing to do. Okay. Because there really isn't bad and not so bad sins. Okay. Here's what the Bible would tell us. The Bible would tell us that sin is sin, and you should never ever ever, ever, ever feel okay about having a certain sin in your life. 
You see, that's what a lot of people do. They, 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 they decide, well, okay, because this sin is in my life and I don't really want to get it out, I'm going to put it in the not-so-bad category. Hey, you know what? That's a lie, okay? That, that's a lie. You, you can't do that. You should not feel okay about leaving any sin, any rebellion, any disobedience in your life, but rather the Bible says you should flee from sin, okay? Now, having said that, okay, after I said that, and I want you to believe that, I know that's true, I also want to come back and say on the other side of that, there are certain sins that tend to be more destructive in your life than others, okay? Now, again, don't please, don't, don't put them in categories. Say, well, mine's not very destructive, so I can keep it there. That, that, that's rebellion. That, that's unacceptable for a believer to do that, okay? But there are certain sins that tend to have great consequences in our lives, sins that almost breed other sins, Okay? And we're going to see that in a minute, that there are certain sins that that kind of stick out their tentacles and they affect every area of your life. And they they almost produce lots of other sin in your life. And we see that in the life of Herod. Now, let's talk about Herod for a little bit. Okay, Acts chapter 12, verse one says, Herod, the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church, all right? This is Herod Agrippa the first, by the way. Lots of different Herods in the Bible. This is the grandson of Herod the Great. Remember Herod the Great? He's the guy that put to death all the babies in Bethlehem trying to kill Jesus, okay? Okay, that was, that was grandpappy Herod, all right? This is grandson Herod, Herod Agrippa the first. And in verse 2, it says, he kills James, the brother of John, with the sword, okay? Remember, Peter, James, and John, kind of Jesus, Jesus' inner circle of disciples, the apostles, all right? Herod slays, he murders, he executes James. Now, I would say that probably most of you would say, that goes over here in the really bad sin, right? And, that, that, and you know, when you kill one of the apostles, when you murder one of the apostles, that, that's pretty bad, okay? But, but Herod doesn't stop there, okay? That goes so well for him. I mean, can you imagine murdering someone, having someone executed that's innocent, and you're like, man, that was so much fun, and that was so good. I enjoyed that so much, and it had such great consequences. I think I'll do it again. And that's what he does. He goes and arrests Peter, and he would execute Peter right away, but it's the Passover. And Herod is a religious guy, okay? He's a religious guy, and he knows you shouldn't execute anybody on the Passover. And so he's like, all right, we've got to put him in prison. We're going to put him in prison. We'll execute him after the Passover, okay? That's the kind of guy that Herod is, all right? Now, here, here's what a lot of people would do as they read this. They would read this, this evil tyrant is is murdering the apostles. He's murdered James. He's arrested Peter. He's going to put Peter to death. And it doesn't seem like God is doing anything about it. That couldn't be farther from the truth. Okay. And actually we see in verse three that God is acting. Verse three says Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. As we read through this, we understand that the church came together in homes. Okay. They came together in their small groups and there was a bunch of them all throughout Jerusalem. So they gathered together in homes that night and they begin to make earnest prayer for Peter. Peter, okay? God hears their prayer. He responds and he sends an angel to the prison. The angel, the angel comes to the prison and says, light shone in the prison and the light didn't wake Peter up, okay? I, I'm really, I can, I can identify with Peter. I'm a hard sleeper, okay? What I can identify with is being a hard sleeper when you're going to get executed the next morning, all right? Evidently, Peter had a lot of faith and confidence in God because he's sleeping soundly, all right? He's sleeping soundly. The angel comes, a bright light flashes, doesn't wake Peter up. Says the angel strikes Peter, okay? Knocks him, wakes him up, and the angel says, hey, get your sandals on. Peter gets his sandals on. He's like, get your clothes on. Peter gets his clothes on. He says, get your cloak. It's going to be cold outside. So he gets his cloak. God, God, the angel breaks the, or however, I don't know, loosens the chains. 
Peter's chained between two soldiers, loosens the chains. They walk out. Soldiers are asleep, okay? There's four squads, that's what Acts 12 tells us, guarding Peter, four squads of soldiers. He walks past them all through the cells, all the way to the iron gate that separates the prison from the outside. The iron gate swings open by itself, and Peter walks out free, okay? Peter goes to, to Mary's house where there's some of the church that's gathered praying, knocks on the door. They, they're up there upstairs. Lord, please get Peter out. Please save Peter. Please rescue Peter. Please deliver Peter. You know, uh, knock on the door. Rhoda, the servant comes down. It's Peter. She slams. She doesn't even open the door. She runs back up. Peter's alive. He's free. They're all like, oh, come on. Nah, you know, I mean, they pray like some of us pray sometimes where we, we pray real firmly, but we're, is God really going to act? They're not convinced, you know? And so, so finally she convinces them They go down. Sure enough, it's Peter. He tells them to be quiet. You know, here, here's what happened. Here's what God did. And then he slips out of town. Okay. Next morning, uh, the soldiers wake up they're, they're, They got the chains on their, their wrists. There's no Peter. Okay. They walk, they go all the way out, four squads of soldiers. There's, no, there's nobody, nobody recognized, nobody, nobody knows he left, nobody knows how he got out. Herod comes down, they're supposed to execute Peter that day. He comes down, he's not there. Herod interviews, he interrogates the soldiers. They're all like, we don't know how this happened. He was there, you know, he was gone. It's supernatural. Herod's like, you're all lying, and he kills all of them, okay? He kills all of them. He executes all those soldiers. Now, let's stop right there. And let's deal with a question, okay? I, I normally wouldn't do this, but, but, but it actually comes back around to what we're going to talk about. So I, I, I want to do this. Why did God let James die and rescue Peter? Both of them apostles, both of them servants of the Lord, both of them great men of God, both of them in the inner circle. And it's not like God didn't have the power. You know, sometimes that's, that's what we think about God as well. You know, it, it was just too bad. It was just too terrible of a circumstance, you know, and we pray, but God can, I, I mean, the point, one of the points of Acts chapter 12 in how Peter is released is that it is effortless, okay? I mean, notice how God gets Peter out of prison. There's not like a dynamite explosion that blows a hole in the wall and, you know, five apostles come in with swords blaring, you know, glaring and, and there's this big fight and Peter gets out of the chains and jumps over the wall and rolls into a donkey and takes off. You know, I mean, you know, it's nothing like that. I mean, it's just so effortless. I mean, the angel comes in hey get up you know get your shoes on get your shoes on there's no hurry you know get your clothes did you forget anything get your coat it's a little cool outside i mean it's just effortless he just he just walks him right out okay there's no there's no lack of power on god's part why didn't you do that for james you see stuff like that doesn't make sense if if in your mind this life's all about you. That's what most people think, isn't it? This life's about me. It revolves around me. My life is about me being happy. My life's about me doing what I want to do. My life's about me going where I want to go. My life's about me saying what I want to say. My life's about me not being inconvenienced by any of you. My life's about me having my me time, my recreation time. Calgon, take me away. You know, get, get, that's what my life's about. Okay, when your life is about that, Stuff like this makes you really mad. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people get really mad at God. He's like, why didn't God intervene? He could have. He could have. So why didn't he? And a lot of people get really angry with God. But, but, if life is not all around, all about us, 
But if life is about something bigger, if everything in this life, every molecule, every atom, every, every relationship, every person, every mountain, every sea, every, every, every atom, everything, if everything is about something else, namely the glory of God, then all of a sudden, why James would die and Peter would live begins to make sense. In the words of John Piper, some glorify him in death and some in life. You see, there are times where God allows, God allows certain things according to his plan because it brings glory to God. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 tells us something about suffering and the difficulties of life and the glory of God. In verse 17, it says, for this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us. Notice what he says, an eternal weight of glory. Now, why does he say an eternal weight of glory? It's almost like God wants us to picture glory as this big, heavy thing, okay, that gets put on the scales of our life and it's so heavy that the other everything else on the other side of the scale just goes wham right up the top because this eternal weight of glory is so heavy and then then Paul says beyond all comparison comparison to what comparison to the light momentary affliction you see, and so from that perspective, if, if life is about the glory of God, if we're to share the glory of God, if it's all about God receiving glory, then the eternal weight of glory is so heavy that it brings everything else up. Let me give you an illustration of this. Let's say that uh, there's a family that's very poor. And then that family sends their son to Walmart with a $5 bill, their last $5 bill. And the son is to buy rice and beans so the family can eat and live another week. Okay, And let's say that son is somewhat similar to my son and he walks into Walmart with his $5 bill and he's walking down that, that first aisle as you go into Walmart, as you go across, he's going across to the food portion and he walks by the arcade and there's the claw. Have you seen the claw? You know, and that $5 rice and beans, rice and beans, the claw, you know, and he comes over and he, put, he spends $5 with the claw and he gets something out. He gets something out of his but he doesn't have his $5 more. And he can't buy the rice and beans, and so he goes home. And, and, and before he can tell his mom what he got, he says, Mom, I, I spent the $5 on the claw machine, and I got, and she just breaks apart in, in, in tears and anguish. Son, you, you have ruined us, you know. There's no hope for us. You know, we, we, we can't not live. That rice and beans was going to be our life, and now we don't have it. And she's just in terrible anguish until finally he can stop her long enough to say, but I got this huge dime. Diamond, this real diamond out of the claw machine. It's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mom, our problems are over. Now, when the mom finally realizes that, the, the weight, the weight of the, the, the value of that diamond makes the loss of rice and beans inconsequential, okay? Now, in the same way, if what the Bible says is true about the weight of glory that's coming for those who, who, who glorify God, okay, if that's true, that makes whatever we would lose, the rice and beans of the rest of James' life, inconsequential, right? Does that make sense? Does that make sense? If it's about the glory of God, okay? One, one quick disclaimer. There are no real diamonds in the claw machine. That was just a made-up story. Please don't spend your $5 on that, okay? Now, let's go back to Herod, okay? So, so if, if life is about the glory of God, things like why James dies and why Peter lives begin to make sense, okay? Now, back to Herod. What about Herod? Herod seems to get all free here. He kills James, Nothing happens. He arrests Peter. You know, he's going to kill him. Nothing happens. Peter escapes, so he kills the soldiers. Nothing happens. I mean, it just seems like here's this murderous tyrant, and, and nothing has happened. But notice what happens in verse 20. Herod takes off. He's kind of mad. He needs a break, so he takes off to Caesarea. And, and, and 
the cities of Tyre and Sidon have a meeting with him, okay? They have a meeting with him because they're at odds. They've done something to make, make Herod mad, okay? These two cities aren't actually in Herod's territory. He's not actually ruler over them. Uh, they're, they're neighboring cities, okay? However, these are commercial cities, okay? Kind of like think of New York City and Chicago. If New York City and Chicago had to, had to grow their own food inside their city to live, there'd be a lot of people starving, right? Because they're commercial centers. They're business centers. They get their food from Iowa and Kansas and Oklahoma, right? Well, that's the same with Tyre and Sidon. Their territory couldn't support. They were banking in commercial centers. They couldn't support their people. They got their food from Herod's territory, all right? But they're they're crossways with one another. And so they're trying to make things right with Herod. So they get a meeting. And and so, so Herod shows up there and he comes out arrayed in his royal robes. That's what the Bible says, arrayed in his royal robes. Now, Josephus is a historian. He didn't have anything to do with the Bible. He's a Jewish historian. He lived back in the, in the days of the Bible and he wrote a history of the Jewish people. He actually records this, this, this thing we see happening here in, in Acts chapter 12. And in it, he says that Herod put on a, uh, an expensive garment made of silver thread that when the sun hit it, he came out and onto his balcony and the sun, when the sun hit it, it dazzled. Okay. It was, it was dazzling. It, it sparkled. You know, I think it's something like James Brown would wear. Okay. You know, something like that. I mean, he's just, just shining and sparkling and Herod gives this rousing speech to, to these two, the, the, these dignitaries from these two cities. And as he gives a speech again, they're wanting to flatter him. They're wanting to get back in his good graces. Okay. They're, they're wanting to, to, to puff up his ego. And so they start chanting the voice of a God and not a man. The voice of a God and not a man. You know what Herod does? Nothing. He just soaks it up. He's like, yeah, you better say that. You want any food from us? You better tell me how great I am. You you better grovel a little bit. And he receives that praise. It's all about him. And God strikes him down immediately with a violent and an agonizing death. Now, here's what I want you to think about, okay? Here's what I want you to think about. In one chapter, here's what we see. This guy murders one of the apostles, arrests another intending to murder them. When he escapes, he murders the guards. All sins that you would do what with? You put over here. Really bad, right? Mainly because you don't do them, okay? God doesn't do anything. Not true, exactly. He rescues Peter, we understand, you know. But, still. But then here's a guy who steals the glory of God. Okay? In a pride-soaked moment, he robs the glory of God for himself. You know what happens? God strikes him down immediately. Now, what do we get from that? Please, please hear this out, okay? Because this is really important. Hear this out. The glory of God is a big deal, okay? You glorifying God with your life. You bringing glory to God with your life. That's not a small deal. You see, most of the time we would think, well, I just don't need to kill anybody. I don't need to do any of the really bad, bad sins. That, 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 that makes me okay. No, 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 no. The glory of God is a huge deal. And you bringing glory to God is the biggest deal. It is the deal about life. Okay, let me read you some scriptures. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Here's what the Bible commands. It says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all. 
all to the glory of God. Okay? Now, now what, what, what Paul is saying there is to the smallest things in your life, eat and drink are stuff you do every day, right? It's stuff you don't even think about. It's stuff that you do routinely. Okay? You go to Arby's, you go to McDonald's, you go to Sonny, you go somewhere, you cook something, you make a sandwich. Okay? The Bible is saying down to the smallest, minute details of your life, you are commanded to do them to the glory of God. To do them in a way that recognizes and gives glory to God. Okay, listen, listen to what God says about his own actions in Isaiah 48. Isaiah 48, verse 11, God is speaking of himself here. Why does God do what he do, does? Well, listen to verse 11. For my own sake, okay, and he says it twice. For my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Why does God do what he do? Why does he act in the way that he acts? Why does he move in the way that he moves? He tells us very clearly God does that for his own glory. For the glory of his name. What about Jesus? Well, Jesus says this in John chapter 13, verse 31 and 32. Jesus says, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him, in Jesus. If God is glorified in him, in Jesus, God will also glorify Jesus in himself and glorify him at once. What what does the Bible say about Jesus and the Father? It says they live in this mutual glorifying relationship. Jesus glorifies the Father. The Father glorifies Jesus. They glorify one another. That that, that is the the, the purpose of the ministry of Jesus. Well, what about heaven? What's heaven going to be like? What are we going to do for all eternity? Revelation chapter 5, verse 11 and 12. Listen to this. John says, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels. Okay? Now, when you picture an angel, don't picture a fat little naked guy, you know, with wings like you see in a Hallmark card. I want you to picture the most fearsome creature that you can imagine. Because every time the Bible, in the Bible, an angel appears, people are struck with fear because of the awesomeness of the sight. Okay? And listen to what he says. He says, A voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, all right? Picture these fearsome creatures as far as you can see, as far as the eye can see, a sea of them all around you, crying out with one thunderous voice. And here's what they're saying. Verse 12, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. That's, that's heaven. That's what it's going to be about. So, so just think about what we've just learned from those voices, from those verses. Everything that we do is to be wrapped around the glory of God. God does all that he does for the glory of God. Jesus does all that he does for the glory of the Father and the Son. In heaven for all eternity, there will be glory given to the Son. Now, what do we learn from that? The glory of God is a big deal. Okay, that's what we learn. Now, 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 what is the glory of God? Some of you are scratching your head saying, okay, if this is what, all, what life's all about, I don't even know what he's talking about. What is the glory of God? The glory of God is God's manifold perfections, okay? It is God being perfect and being wonderful and being mighty and being to the nth degree the best in everything we can think of, okay? In every category, in every way, God is the most valuable. He's the most beautiful. He's the strongest, the bravest, the most enjoyable. God is the most hospitable, the most satisfying, the most loving the most gracious, the most faithful. He is altogether holy. What does the word holy mean in the Bible? It means God's in a complete different category than us, okay? It means he is so, so different, so much 
more glorious, that he's not even in the same category. That's what the word holy means. It means separate. God shines with everlasting wonderfulness. And the Bible tells us that the entire world, everything in creation, is created for the purpose of displaying the glory of God. Psalm 19 verse 1 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims his handiwork. Let me ask you this question. Why are there billions of stars in the sky? Him and I were in Joshua Tree National uh, Park over Christmas, and, and we were in the high desert, the dry desert, and we looked up from our tent at night, and I mean just myriads and myriads of stars, more than you can count. You can't even tell where one star is apart from the other. It's just this smattering of stars all across the sky, billions of them, and each one of them thousands of times larger than the earth. I mean, these massive burning balls of fire and glories you know, up in the sky. Why are they there? Psalm 19 makes very clear. They are there to proclaim to you that God is glorious. God is big. God is mighty. God spoke that into existence. Why are there 28,000 foot mountains in Nepal? Let me ask you, why are they there? Nobody can live on them. You can't build a condo on them. You can't build a ski resort on them. You can't hunt elk on them. Elk can't survive at that height. Why are there 28,000 foot mountains in Nepal? There's one answer, for the glory of God, that you might know the mighty nature of our God. Everything in creation cries out that God is glorious. All things are from God and for God and to God. And that includes you. That's what Romans eleven thirty six 36 says. It says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. Listen, to him be glory forever, forever. Amen. Listen to Colossians 1. Verses 16 and 17. By the way, I'm going to memorize these two verses this week, all right? That's my own challenge to myself. Why don't you do that with me, all right? And we'll come back next week and you say, hey, Pastor Jason, let me hear him. Did you memorize those verses? And then I'll either say them to you or I'll be embarrassed because I didn't do it, all right? One of those two things will happen. But I want to memorize these two verses because I think these two verses really wrap up what life is all about. You want to know why you're breathing? You want to know why there's marriage? You want to know why God's given you the capacity to have children and have families, to have relationships, to have Christ in a relationship, to have a church. Here it is. All right. Colossians 1 16 says, for by him, speaking of Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him. And then I think the most important three words of the verse right here and for him, for him. All things were created through him and for him. That's going to blow some of you away because in your mind, this life is for you, right? Everything's created for you. Your your money is for what? It's for you, right? It's for you to do what you want to do, for you to spend what you want to spend. But the Bible says something radically different. It says all things are created through Jesus and for Jesus. Verse 17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. You know, what holds everything together? What holds the planets in their orbit? What holds the the solar system together? What holds the earth together? What keeps you from flying off this thing? It's not gravity. It's Jesus Christ, all right? It's Jesus Christ working through gravity. But Jesus Christ sustains and holds together all things. What a blow to the pride of man. We're not the center of the universe. We're not the reason we exist. 
We don't own ourselves. You see, Herod thought it was all about him. As believers, you're to be radically different than Herod, okay? You are to be. I don't know if you are or not. Only you know that. But you are to be radically different than Herod, okay? As believers, here's, here's, here's the definition of a believer. Someone who has seen a glimpse of the glory of God. Someone who's seen just a glimpse of who God is, of how glorious He is. And you've said, man, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to center my life around Jesus, I'm going to begin to follow him. I'm going to begin to listen to him and I'm going to love him and I'm going to treasure him and I'm going to seek him. I'm going to depend on him for my salvation and for my forgiveness. And your life is now centered around Jesus Christ. But Herod didn't think that. For Herod, it was about him. It was not about the glory of God. It was about the glory of Herod. Let me ask you this. If life is all about the glory of God, then how do we give glory to God? How do we do that? You know, well, I mean, hopefully we, we just did it in one way just a minute ago, right? Hopefully we just sang to him. Hopefully we just ascribed glory in song. Hopefully we, we said over and over again in songs, Jesus, you are glorious. You are our savior. You're king. We trust you. We love you. I mean, that, that's what worship is about. It's about lifting our voices to proclaim these things that are true about God and say the things that, that are true, that God is glorious. But, but there's a lot of other ways that we glorify God. We, go, we should glorify Him in our life. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, it says this, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Hopefully what's happened in me is that God has changed me, that, that He's produced Himself in me. And it, that, that, I hope that's happened. And, and so... So, so Jesus' handiwork is in my life. And hopefully people will see that and they'll give glory to God. We had, a, we had a young lady baptized at the 945 service. And what I said during the sermon over there was I said, Kylie, Kylie, you've been baptized. You know, you've said you've given your life to Jesus Christ. And your mom says your life's already changing. And hopefully that will continue so that people will see, wow, you are different. How did that happen? That's Jesus. And they'll give glory to God. And so through our life, through our patience, through our joy, through our, through our love, through our, our, our giving grace to others, through our forgiveness to others, we ought to bring glory to God through our life. We ought to give glory to God through treasuring Him and valuing Him and depending on Him. Listen, listen to what Psalm 50 says. Psalm 50 verse 15 says, Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you. And you shall glorify me. Isn't that interesting? God says, hey, hey, hey. Come to me. Ask me about your problem. Follow me about your struggle here. Call on me. Depend on me. And you'll glorify me. You see, we glorify God when we come to him. Let me give you an illustration. Let's say that we're going on a, on a mission trip. John Elam uh, one of our, our folks is in Phoenix right now um, helping with a church plant. Let's say we take a mission trip to Phoenix, okay? And we're there, and we're putting on a worship service for some kids in a park, and we brought a little screen and a projector, and we've hooked a laptop up to our projector, and we're going to put the words up there, and somebody's going to lead with a guitar, and we're going to sing. We're going to sing songs of Jesus. We're going to glorify Him. But, but let's say we can't get the laptop to work. You know, it's, it's not projecting the words, and we don't know what's wrong, and and I'm over there fumbling around with it. And so I do what 
the only thing I know to do, being a farm kid, I get the duct tape out of the bag and, and I start duct taping all those wires and, you know, I think maybe it's not tight enough and so that's what I do and it's not working. It's not working. And, and so I, I look over and I, I ask Graydon. Graydon's on the mission trip with us. I'm like, Graydon, come help. Graydon doesn't know anything more about computers than I do, you know. And so we're over there. He pulls out bar, uh, some, some bailing wire. He said, well, maybe this will work and we're kind of, you know, trying, but, can't, you know, we're asking everybody. But let's just say that we, we brought a guy that knows a lot about computers with us. He's on the team. Tony Haskins. Okay? Tony's on the team. Everybody's giving their input, and I'm asking everybody, but I don't ask Tony. And finally, Tony's so frustrated because he knows the answer. He knows what we need to do. You know, and he's like, Jason, you just got to do this. And he tells me what keys to push, tells me what to do, tells me what switch to do. And what if I say, oh, hmm. Thanks for your input, Tony. But I don't do it. I keep, I keep, I tape some more wires. You know what I've done? Number one, I've been stupid, okay? But number two, I've dishonored Tony. Haven't I? Isn't that a dishonoring thing? Because what have I said? I don't care what you think, buddy. We'll get this on our own. I don't think you have the answer. I don't think you know what you're talking about. I don't think you have the skills. I don't think you have the ability. You just sit on back there. We'll handle this. That'd be a dishonoring thing to Tony, wouldn't it? Did you know that people do that to God every day? Don't they? Every day. God, how should we, how should we spend our money? Well, no, no. I'm sorry. Let me, let me back up. How should we spend our money? God's saying, here, here, here. What are we saying? Oh, yeah, thanks for your opinion, God. <laughs> you know, now, how should we really spend it, Right? What should we do with our time? God's got something to say about that, doesn't he? We say, well, God, we, we really don't want your opinion. Just, just stay on back there in heaven. We'll decide how we're going to spend our time. Folks, life is about the glory of God. It's about you glorifying him. Herod's a guy that did not glorify God. Let me ask you this. What are the implications of not glorifying God? Well, number one, it's sin, right? Romans 3, 23, what's it say? For the wages, oh no, for all have sinned, and what? Falls short of the glory of God. So number one, it's sin, okay? Anytime you don't glorify God, anytime you, you, you don't give God the glory with your life, is sin. Now, you know what that's going to do for a lot of you? You're going to realize you sin a whole lot more than you think you sin, Right? If the only time you think you sin is when you break one of the Ten Commandments, well, actually, if you're thinking of that rightly, you probably know you sin all the time anyway. But when you think of sin as when you don't glorify God with the way you talk to your wife, when you don't glorify God with the way you treat your kids, when you don't glorify God with the way you spend your money, when you don't bring glory to God with your action, that's sin. Now, the consequences in this particular instance is that Herod dies a violent death. The Bible says he was eaten by worms. That's what the Bible says. That phrase was, was a phrase that described what would happen when someone had a tapeworm invasion and, and would literally be eaten on the inside with worms. It's interesting. Again, Josephus records this instance. You know what he, how he describes it? He says that after the oration, after the speech, Herod buckled over with abdominal pain. They carried him out they laid him in a sick bed for five days. He agonized until he died. 
Doctors tell us now that probably what happened was he, he did have a tapeworm invasion. He probably had a cyst of tapeworms. The cyst burst. The tapeworms, the hundreds of thousands of them, attacked his vital organs. And in about five days, he died a very, very agonizing death. You know, there's a couple things that struck me about that. Number one, a worm brings down a king. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> you know, I mean, here's a king. Here's a guy that is powerful. What takes him down? A worm. But I think here's the even more cutting thing about that. I don't think Herod's death by worms was, was the saddest thing about that. You see, when you live your life not glorifying God, the Bible says God gives you what you want. Okay? You live your life saying, I'm not interested in the glory of God. I'm interested in the glory of me. God says, okay. And he sends you to a place where there is no glory. There is no glory of God. And that place, the Bible calls hell. Listen to how it's described. This is Mark chapter 9, verse 47 and 48. It says, if your eye caused you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Isn't it interesting? Same, same image. But the image in hell is that the parasite never dies. Why does the parasite never die? Because the victim's never consumed. It's an eternal torment. What does that teach us? That teaches us the glory of God is a big deal. How many times should I say that? Are we getting it? The glory of God's a big deal. And, and here's what's going to keep you from the glory of God. Here's what's going to keep, here's what kept Herod from the glory of God. It's this little thing in our life called pride. Remember I told you there are certain sins that spread out their tentacles and they affect us in, in hundreds of different ways. Uh, I was riding bikes yesterday with, with uh, four different guys. And, and I asked them this question. I said, guys, how, how does pride manifest itself in your life? You know the interesting thing? I got four radically different answers. I, I gathered my family last night. We, we did our devotion outside under our tree. We do that in the summer sometimes. And we were talking about different things. And, and, and I brought up the issue of pride. And, and I asked my kids, I, you know, I kind of defined what pride is. And I said, how do you see pride in your life? You know what's interesting? I got, I got, I got seven different answers. <laughs> you, know? Yeah. you know why? Because pride manifests itself in so many different ways. Pride is, is this, is this high, def, high opinion of yourself rather than a high opinion of God. And when a person is focused on self, it keeps them from God in so many ways. It keeps them from the Word of God. You you know why people disobey the Bible? You know why people know the Bible says certain things about about their life and they just disregard it? Talked to a a couple just just a little bit ago, uh, a few days ago. Pleaded with them. Guys, here's what the Bible says. Please just trust Jesus. Trust Him in this. Please obey Him, you know, for your own good. And and, and just very nonchalantly. Here's what they did. Nah, we're not going to do that. Some of you are looking shocked. Hey, is that not, is there anything in the Bible you know? You know it's, it's God's word, but you're just, nah. You know what that is? That's pride. It's pride that says, I'm going to decide. This is not my authority. I'm my authority. I, I made the mistake of Googling pride. Don't do that, by the way. I Googled pride. I just wondered what the world thought. And it gave me a good definition. The definition I read to you, that was the first thing that came up, like Wikipedia's definition. The next three pages, every, every, every instant was gay pride. 
I didn't go to any of the sites, all right? But at first I thought, well, that was, that was a waste of time. Actually, it wasn't. Because I, the more I thought about it, the more I was like, oh, I see that. I see how that fits. What, why gay pride? I mean, why not homosexual, you know, awareness or whatever, you know? Why, why do they call it pride? You know why it's called pride? It's because it's, it's the homosexual community saying, we will do whatever we want with our life. We don't care what the Bible says. We don't care what morality says. We don't care what the community says. We're going to do what we're going to do. And it's not just them. There's a lot of people that feel exactly that way. And it's pride. Pride keeps us from loving people. Whenever you're focused on yourself, you're not focused on others. Uh, Pride keeps people in positions of weakness. Uh, Pride is above rebuke. If you look at your life and you're the kind of person that you can't be rebuked, your family can't come to you and say, hey, you're out of line. What is that? That's pride. That's pride. This is nobody's going to tell me what to do. Nobody's going to correct me. That, that, that's, that's a sense in us that says, I am my boss. Glory to me. Pride keeps us from seeking the things of God. In John chapter 5, verse 44, it says, How can you believe? Jesus says this. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and don't seek the glory that comes from God? Pride keeps us... Trying, trying to measure everybody up, trying to constantly say, hey, I want people to affirm me. I want people to, 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 be, to be giving me glory. And here's the truth, folks. The antidote to pride is to realize who God is and to realize who we are. We are broken sinners who cannot save ourselves. And God is a glorious God. The more you see of God, the more you see of His glory the more rightly you begin to see yourself. I'm going to say it one more time. Please hear. The glory of God's a big deal. You giving glory to God in your life is the most important thing in your life. Please don't neglect it. Let's glorify Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for uh, Your Word. God, I, I almost feel, God, we had to rush through it. And, and Lord, I just pray that You'd put together the pieces that, that we didn't have time to talk about. We didn't have time to to go through. And Lord, I just trust your spirit. God would, would speak to the hearts in, in a way that, that they need to be spoken to. God, keep us from the sin of pride. Keep us, Father, from the sin of, of exalting ourselves and demanding that we be exalted. And God, give us a heart that, that desires to exalt Jesus. God, give us a heart that desires to, to turn away from ourselves and, and to throw our life around the glory of Jesus, trusting that that through that, God will share glory with Christ. Father, help us in Jesus' name. Amen.